To get this episode of Forensic Tales ad-free, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. Forensic Tales discusses topics that some listeners may find disturbing. The contents of this episode may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On December 11th, 2010, a police officer and his trusty dog were on a routine training exercise along Ocean Parkway in Long Island. The dog stopped to sniff a little longer than usual. The police officer also recognized the god-awful smell, the stench of death. A young female's bare bones found inside a burlap sack. Within a couple weeks, more female dismembered bodies were found. First one, then two, then three, and on and on. We have a serial killer on the loose. This is Forensic Tales, episode number 74, The Long Island Serial Killer. Welcome to Forensic Tales. I'm your host, Courtney Fretwell. Forensic Tales is a weekly true crime podcast covering real, spine-tingling stories with a forensic science twist. Some cases have been solved with forensic science, while others have turned cold. Every remarkable story sends us a chilling reminder that not all stories have happy endings. If you're interested in supporting the show, getting early access to weekly episodes, bonus material, ad-free episodes, merchandise, and much more, consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to this week's newest patron of the show, Anarchy. Thank you so much. Another great way you can help support Forensic Tales is by leaving us a positive rating with a review or telling friends and family who love true crime about us. Now, let's jump right into this week's case. May 1st, 2010, at 4.51 a.m., 23-year-old Shannon Gilbert placed a 22-minute phone call to 911. Shannon told 911 that someone was after her. She said someone was trying to kill her. In the background, the dispatcher hears the voices of two unknown males. After being on the phone for over 22 minutes, Shannon hung up. It took the Suffolk County Police Department over an hour to respond to the call for help. By the time they arrived, Shannon Gilbert was nowhere to be found. She disappeared. In May of 2010, 23-year-old Shannon Gilbert worked as a sex worker. Immediately before she placed that 911 call, a witness last saw her at a client's house in Oak Beach, Long Island, a gated community on the south shore of Long Island. Oak Beach is a relatively nice area of Long Island. 
Not the kind of place where 20-something young women go missing. By the time the police responded to Oak Beach, Shannon had disappeared. She was last seen by her driver, Michael Pack. Michael Pack saw her running away on foot from her client's house, and nobody ever saw her again. Authorities searched for Shannon for months without so much as a clue to where she was. For some, Shannon was just another case of a sex worker gone missing. But she was so much more than that, especially for those who loved her. By December 2010, police searched for Shannon Gilbert for seven months and made very little progress in the case. But that was all about to change. On December 11, 2010, a police officer and his dog were on a routine training exercise along Ocean Parkway, a patch of road near the remote beach towns of Gilgo and Oak Beach. While on the road, the police officer and his dog stumbled upon skeletal remains. They were skeletal remains of a young female. The body had been wrapped in a burlap sack, and based on the condition of her remains, it was obvious she'd been dead for months. When the Suffolk County Police Department received a phone call that the remains of a female body had been found near Gilgo Beach off Ocean Parkway, they were convinced they finally found Shannon Gilbert. But the remains didn't belong to Shannon Gilbert. The remains were identified as 24-year-old Melissa Bartholomew. Melissa grew up in upstate New York. After high school, she got her cosmetology license and worked for a couple months at a local Supercuts. In 2007, when Melissa was 20, she moved to the Bronx with dreams of owning her own salon someday. But opening up a salon takes money, a lot of it. So to save up money, Melissa decided to work as a Craigslist escort. Before Craigslist eventually decided to take down its adult-only section in 2010, this section of the website allowed for young girls to advertise their services as an escort. For Melissa, working as a Craigslist escort was her means of survival. Before her body was discovered in a bushy area off Ocean Parkway on December 11, 2010, witnesses last saw her in the Bronx on July 12, 2009. They saw her outside her apartment on Uphill Avenue. On the day of her disappearance, she had arranged for a $1,000 date with a client somewhere on Long Island. Following her disappearance, Melissa's sister received several phone calls from a man using Melissa's cell phone, claiming to be her killer. Two days after the police discovered the body of Melissa, a second body was found less than a quarter of a mile away. The victim was identified as 27-year-old Amber Lynn Costello. Her body was also located just off Ocean Parkway near Gogo Beach. Amber was born in Charlotte, North Carolina, but was raised in Wilmington, a coastal city in Long Island. She grew up very religious and took her faith seriously. By 27, she'd been married twice, but neither relationship worked out. Family and friends who knew Amber described her as a natural giver who used her own struggles to try and help others. As someone who dealt with substance misuse problems, she used her struggles to try and help others fighting the same battle. 
About a year before her disappearance, Amber's older sister, Kimberly Overstreet, brought Amber to New York to get her into a drug rehab program. While she got sober in rehab, she worked as a sex worker, a path that unfortunately led her right back to drugs again. Amber was last seen leaving her apartment in Long Island in early September 2010. She was last seen by her roommate to meet up with a client. The roommate stated that this client called Amber three to four times, offering her $1,500 for her services. After discovering Melissa and Amber within a quarter mile of each other, several more victims appeared in the same exact area. After Amber, it was 25-year-old Maureen Bernard Barnes. Maureen's body was found on the same day as Amber's, only a couple feet away. Maureen was last seen alive in Manhattan on July 9th, 2007, three years earlier. Like Amber and Melissa, Maureen was also working as a Craigslist escort in 2007. Back in July 2007, she stayed at a Super 8 hotel, a place she visited with clients. She was reported missing by family after she failed to return home the following day. Maureen was a single mother to two young children who were eight and one years old at the time of her disappearance. Just before she was found dead, she was laid off from her job as a telemarketer. And as a way to support herself, as well as her two children, she turned to sex work on Craigslist. Maureen was described as being bubbly and outgoing her entire life. Maureen was now the third female victim to be found within a quarter-mile radius of this part of Ocean Parkway near Gilgo Beach in only two days. Police realized that this wasn't a coincidence. Authorities found one more victim that day, 22-year-old Megan Waterman. Megan's body was discovered less than a tenth of a mile away from Maureen on the same strip of brush off Ocean Parkway. Like the earlier victims, Megan was last seen in early June 2010 and worked as an escort. She was last seen at a Holiday Inn Express in New York. Surveillance footage showed Megan meeting up with one of her clients at the Holiday Inn Express around 1.30 a.m., and like earlier victims, her killer had strangled her. She left behind a four-year-old child. The discovery of four female victims along Ocean Parkway was dubbed the Gilgo Beach Four. The only victim not discovered was the person that the police were looking for originally, 23-year-old Shannon Gilbert. While the police continued their search for Shannon, authorities found yet another victim near Gilgo Beach. Three months after discovering the Gilgo Beach Four, Authorities found another female victim in March of 2011. The partial skeletal remains of 20-year-old Jessica Taylor were found on another stretch of Ocean Parkway. Several years before, in July 2003, a naked and dismembered female torso missing its head and hands was found on Halsey Manor Road and the Long Island Expressway in Maynerville. At the time, The police could not identify the remains because her head and hands were missing. But in May 2011, the police found 
the rest of her body. This included a skull, a pair of hands, and a forearm that belonged to Jessica Taylor. About a week after the police discover the rest of Jessica Taylor's remains, another body pops up. On April 4th, 2011, a skull, pair of hands, a right foot belonging to a female victim were found about two miles from where the Gilgo Beach Four were found. Like Jessica Taylor, the victim's body had been severed, only leaving behind partial remains. Because of the state of decomposition, the police were unable to identify the sixth victim. She became known as Jane Doe Number 6 until being linked through DNA in 2020 when police identified her as 24-year-old Valerie Mack. Later that same day, police make another shocking discovery along the beach. This time, it's a child. Introducing the brand new hit podcast, The Forgiven. The Forgiven podcast retells Bible scandals in a more modern setting, focusing on forgiveness in a cancel culture. This series will touch on forgiveness by dramatizing some of the most scandalous stories in the Bible, accompanied by scripture readings, affirmations, gospel music, and personal stories of forgiveness. The Forgiven Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Also available at theforgivenpodcast.com. Subscribe today and give it a listen. The Forgiven Podcast. Prepare yourself for a forgiven experience. The same day that the police found Jane Doe number 6 on August 4, 2011, they found another body. Less than a tenth of a mile away, the police found the skeletal remains of a female toddler wrapped in a blanket. The police believed that the toddler was around two years old, but couldn't determine the toddler's race. They also couldn't determine the toddler's gender, but they presumed it was likely a female. A quarter of a mile away from the unidentified toddler, skeletal remains of an unidentified Asian male dressed in women's clothing was discovered. A forensic examination of the body determined that the man was somewhere between 17 and 23 years old, and he stood approximately 5 feet 6 inches tall. What was also noticeable about the remains was that the man was described as having, quote, very poor dental health. Based on the condition of his body, investigators believed someone killed him anywhere from 5 to maybe 10 years earlier. Unlike the female victims who the killer had strangled, his cause of death was determined to be blunt force trauma to the head. By mid-2011, Suffolk County Police Commissioner Richard Dormer announced that his department was searching for a serial killer. Even though the toddler and the Asian male didn't match the same victim profile as the earlier victims, he believed the murders were connected and committed by the same perpetrator. His department thought that the toddler and Asian man were related to the murders because they believed they were somehow connected to the sex trade. All the other female victims had ties to the sex trade community. They felt one person was responsible for the murders, a serial killer in Long Island. 
two more victims were found after the three identified victims were discovered on April 11th, 2011. Seven miles away, the police found several remains of another female victim. Investigators could link this woman's remains to a still unidentified female torso found in Long Island's Rockville Center back in 1997. Although the police weren't able to identify the woman, they noticed she had a very distinct tattoo of a peach on one of her breasts. The police also noticed that whoever killed her left behind a partial bite mark over the tattoo. Without a name, the Long Island Press dubbed this victim Peaches. The other set of partial remains found came from another unidentified female. DNA tests confirmed the remains matched the other remains found in Davis Park on Fire Island back in 1996. So in April 1996, authorities found a set of female legs inside of a garbage bag. The rest of her body was found near Gilgo Beach with the other victims. Still unidentified, this victim is believed to be a white female somewhere between 18 and 50 years old. There's a scar on her left ankle and she had red nail polish. And to this day, she remains unidentified. What began as a search for missing Shannon Gilbert turned into the start of a search for a serial killer, a serial killer dubbed the Long Island Serial Killer. Over a year and a half, eight victims were found within a two-mile radius along the stretch of Gilgo Beach, and two more victims were found nearby under very similar circumstances. Most of the victims had known ties to sex work and had been missing for months, sometimes years, before their bodies were discovered. The offender had severed many of the bodies post-mortem, like in the case of Jessica Taylor. The police found some of her remains off Ocean Parkway, not too far from the other victims. But authorities found other parts of her years earlier in Maynerville, which is about 50 miles away from Gilgo Beach. The killer strangled all the victims to death, and their bodies were placed in a burlap sack before being dumped along Gilgo Beach. Because of this location, investigators believe the victims were killed elsewhere and then dumped at the beach. And because many of the victims used Craigslist to solicit their services, investigators felt pretty confident their suspect used the website in order to select his next victim. Now, not all the victims found along Gilgo Beach were sex workers, and not all of them used Craigslist. Specifically, I'm thinking about the unidentified toddler and the unidentified Asian male found in the same area. They weren't sex workers and they didn't use Craigslist. But as I mentioned earlier, the police still believed they were somehow connected to the sex worker industry. It's possible that the toddler was a child of a sex worker. Or it's possible that the unidentified Asian man was maybe a pimp to one of these girls or another sex worker in the area. Or maybe he was a witness to something he shouldn't have seen. All possible theories supported the police's assumption at the time that these 10 murders 
were all committed by the same offender. The search for Shannon Gilbert is what started this mania. Her body was eventually found about a year and a half after being reported missing. Police found her body on December 12, 2011, also in a marshy area in Oak Beach. This was a spot only about a half mile away from where she disappeared. Next to her body was her purse, cell phone, and all her personal belongings. At the time of Shannon's discovery, everyone in the state knew about the Long Island serial killer. So when Shannon's body was finally found, everyone just assumed she was another one of his victims. Only, the police disagreed. Since the discovery of her body in December 2011, the police maintain her death is unrelated to the Long Island serial killer. The police believe her death actually wasn't even a homicide at all, but rather an accident. The police's theory is that Shannon accidentally drowned in the marsh where her body was discovered. And the medical examiner who conducted the autopsy didn't find any signs of strangulation. But he also couldn't determine exactly how she died either. So without a proper cause of death, the Suffolk County Medical Examiner's Office ruled her death or ruled her cause of death as inconclusive. Although the police have claimed Shannon's death is unrelated to their investigation, she is still included on the Suffolk County Police Department's possible victim list on their website dedicated to the case. Now, this is something that Shannon Gilbert's family has disputed over the years. The Gilbert family has long disputed the police's claim that their daughter died of an accidental drowning. Specifically, Shannon's mom points to the 911 call she placed right before her disappearance. Remember that 22-minute 911 call that had Shannon pleading with dispatchers that someone was trying to kill her? As authorities tried to identify the Long Island serial killer, more names popped up as potential victims. They include 19-year-old Tina Foglia. Tina disappeared back in February 1982. Her body was discovered about a month later, dismembered inside of three trash bags along Saquitos Parkway. Even though Tina was murdered several years before the rest of the body showed up at Gilgo Beach, the people who believe her case may be connected to the Long Island murders point to where her body was found. Tina's body was found in the southern part of Saquitos Parkway. Now, this part of the road takes drivers right into Captree State Park, which is a gateway to Ocean Parkway, a road that runs right through Gilgo and Oak Beach, the road where all the other bodies have been found. Before Tina's disappearance, her sister remembered Tina met up with a man she'd been dating. Other than the fact her sister said that the man was a doctor, she knew nothing else about him. Unfortunately, she didn't even know this man's name. Besides Tina Foglia, a woman only known as Cherries has been identified as another possible victim. On May 3, 2007, a suitcase containing the dismembered torso of a female washed up on a beach at Harbor Island Park, a spot about 50 miles away from Gilgo Beach. 
A couple of weeks after the torso washed up, one of her legs appeared in Cold Spring Harbor. The next day, her other leg washed up in Oyster Bay, another spot along Long Island's northern coast. At this point, the police only had her torso, which was missing the head, and of course, two of her legs. She became known as Cherries because of the distinct tattoo of two cherries on one of her breasts. A 39-year-old woman, Tanya Rush, is also believed to be another victim, although the police haven't been able to verify. Tanya Rush's body was found dismembered, stuffed inside of a suitcase about 18 miles away from Gilgo Beach on June 27, 2008. Authorities found the suitcase along the Southern State Parkway near the South Newbridge Road exit ramp. Although Tanya's case bears many similarities to the other victims, her body was found two years earlier. Now, the list of other possible victims doesn't end there. There are at least two more women possibly connected to the Long Island serial killer. The 15th possible victim is another Jane Doe, known simply as, quote, woman with gold pig necklace, end quote. On January 23, 2013, a female skeleton was found on a beach in Laddington near Oyster Bay, a spot about 40 miles away from Gilgo Beach. The woman appeared to be somewhere in her 20s, and when her body was found, she was wearing a gold necklace with a pig pendant. While the police don't believe she's connected to the Long Island murders, many speculate she just may be another victim. Lastly, there's Natasha Hugo. The body of 31-year-old Natasha was found washed up on Gilgo Beach in June 2013. Shortly after she disappeared, the police found her abandoned car along Ocean Parkway. Even though her body was washed up not too far away from the others in Gilgo Beach, the police don't suspect her murder is related. With no ties to sex work, or any other victims, it's not clear whether her murder is connected or not. Now, if you've been keeping track, that brings our victim total to a minimum of 10 and upwards to around 16 possible victims of the Long Island serial killer. With so many victims found in such a small area along Gilgo Beach, you would think that investigators could have solved this one a long time ago, or that there exists a mountain of forensic evidence. Well, not so much. To this day, the Long Island serial killer remains unidentified. Very little forensic evidence has been collected over the years. By December 2015, the Suffolk County Police Department announced that the FBI would be joining its case. Although the FBI did assist in several investigations over the years, it wasn't until 2015 that the FBI basically took the case over. So now with the FBI involved, surely they must have gotten somewhere, some headway in the case, right? Again, not so much. So what evidence do we have in the case? Well, as I mentioned, not so much. Before we get into the forensic evidence, we do have some evidence of the killer's M.O. Again, most of the victims 
had some sort of ties to sex work, specifically Craigslist ads. But then again, not all of them did. This isn't the first time that we've seen serial killers target sex workers. We've got Robert Hansen, a.k.a. the Butcher Baker, back in the 70s and 80s, who targeted dancers and sex workers throughout Anchorage, Alaska. There's Gary Ridgway, a.k.a. Green River Killer, who confessed to killing at least 48 sex workers between 1982 and 1998. Even the unidentified Jack the Ripper is believed to have murdered at least five sex workers in England during his prime back in the 1800s. So violence against sex workers isn't anything new when looking at a serial killer's M.O. But when attempting to identify possible victims, it's an important aspect of the case. Suppose someone is targeting sex workers, specifically those who used Craigslist. In that case, I'm sure investigators started their investigation looking at known offenders in the Long Island area who have been known to utilize sex worker services. Or they may have looked at possible suspects who frequently used the adult section of Craigslist before 2010 when the site was ultimately taken down. With at least four of the victims, at least four of what we know of, having ties to sex work, our suspect may have some sort of ties to the industry, whether as a customer or as a pimp. Now, interestingly, some victims disappeared after meeting with a client, like in the case of Megan Waterman and Melissa, even Shannon Gilbert, the victim who started this entire investigation, was last seen alive meeting up with a client just minutes before their disappearance. We at least know that Melissa used Craigslist to solicit her services right up until the time she disappeared. So it'd be interesting for me to know whether the police have conducted forensic searches of the victim's computers, and if so, what was found on the computers or their hard drives. It's possible that that at the time of the investigation, everything was deleted or erased, of course. And it's also possible some of the victims didn't own their own personal computers, and maybe they used friends' computers or maybe public computers to communicate with their clients. So I'm not sure what would have been gathered from the Craigslist ads, if anything at all, right? Craigslist is a tough platform to search anyway because of the anonymity of it. And I hate to say that word, but basically anyone can use the site without divulging any type of personal information other than a simple IP address. Now, something else notable about the victims being sex workers is certain offenders will target these women because they are considered, quote, vulnerable. Vulnerable because many believe these women won't be reported missing for days, weeks, and even months in some cases. Depending on their lifestyle, sometimes these women will be off the grid for a day or two. The offenders might not think these women have many people in their lives looking after them, meaning they can go missing and nobody will report them missing essentially for days or even weeks. Now, that's not the case in some of the Long Island victims, but 
it's a known problem that sex workers do become victims of violent crimes because in many cases, their disappearances aren't reported to the police right away. Even when loved ones do report them missing to the police, unfortunately, sometimes the police just don't take those types of calls as seriously as, let's say, a non-sex worker going missing. Now, another point of interest is the location of where the bodies were dumped. Most victims were found along the same stretch of Ocean Parkway. In many cases, the bodies had been out there for months and sometimes years before they were discovered. This suggests that the killer was definitely familiar with this part of the road, and he was familiar with where to dump the bodies as to not be seen by other drivers. I think, after all, the offender probably got comfortable after all of those weeks and months. Once he figured out this stretch of Ocean Parkway was a good dumping ground, he just continued to take his victims out there. He, he definitely had some sort of familiarity with the area that, again, lasted probably more than weeks or months, but, but ultimately years. So I think this is a good spot for us to take a dive into what evidence we have. And what exactly do we have in hopes of trying to identify a possible suspect? Well, as I've said a, a few times, you know, there, there's not much, unfortunately. The most significant piece of evidence in the case was only released last year. So in January 2010, the Suffolk County Police Department released images of a belt found at Gilgo Beach during their investigation. At this press conference, Suffolk police said that they don't believe the belt belonged to any of the victims and that they believe the belt belonged to the suspect. Now, the belt is pretty generic, except for one aspect. The letter HM or WH, depending on how you look at it, are embossed on the back of the belt. But other than that, it's a typical looking men's belt. Could HM or WH be the suspect's initials? Sure. I think that's one of the more plausible theories here. But the next question becomes, why didn't the police release this information about the belt to the public back in 2010 when it was reportedly recovered? That I'm not sure. When the media asked the Suffolk police about this, they responded by saying that now is the right time to release this information without really elaborating any further. Authorities said that they believe their suspect handled the belt at the crime scene, but didn't explain what that means. Handled could mean the suspect used it to strangle the victims, maybe to subdue them or to tie their hands together. Most other evidence collected by the police at Gilgo Beach was used to identify victims. They mainly collected jewelry of the victims. Now, we know Peaches. She had two gold bracelets. Pictures of the bracelets have been released to the media in hopes that someone recognizes those bracelets and knows someone who might be wearing them or wore them. We also know that the unidentified toddler had a pair of gold earrings and wore a gold bracelet. 
And once again, these images have been released in hopes that someone could identify who they belong to. Other than the men's belt, Suffolk police haven't disclosed what other evidence they have in the investigation. I think it's entirely likely that authorities do have additional information and that they do have additional evidence in the case, but they're withholding it for whatever reason. We know that it's common for the police to withhold certain information, especially in an investigation involving a serial killer. But one of the things that makes this case so hard to solve is that many of these murders happened months, maybe years before their bodies were discovered. Many of the bodies were in advanced stages of decomposition. And this not only makes it challenging to identify these victims, but it also makes it almost impossible to collect any forensic evidence. We don't know if some of these women were sexually assaulted or not. We only know in a handful of cases that the suspect strangled them. And even more difficult for investigators is the fact that the killer dismembered many victims. Different parts of their bodies were scattered here and there. So in hopes of finding any real, credible forensic evidence left behind by the suspect, well, sadly, that's, that's highly unlikely. Since the Long Island serial killer's identity has remained a mystery for over a decade, there's been a handful of names thrown around as being possible suspects. I remain skeptical that any of the names mentioned had anything to do with the case. And I'm always hesitant to talk about possible suspects on my show because that's all they are, potential suspects. It's important to remember that in the Long Island serial case, the Suffolk police have not named a single person of interest and they have not named a potential suspect, not a single person. But there has been a show that presents a possible suspect. Now, after you listen to this episode, and if you want to learn more about the case, go watch Lost Girls on Netflix. Now, the show primarily tells the story of Shannon Gilbert, but it also follows the journey of all the other victims, and it illustrates what the families of these victims have gone through to get justice in the case. So the main suspect portrayed in Lost Girls is Peter Hackett. Peter Hackett is a former surgeon and Oak Beach resident. Peter Hackett allegedly called Shannon Gilbert's mother, Mari Gilbert, two days after Shannon disappeared. I know we've talked about so many names in this story, but remember, Shannon Gilbert was the one that started this entire case and led to the discovery of all these other victims in Gilgo Beach. So Peter Hackett allegedly called Shannon Gilbert's mom, Mari, hinting at his involvement in her disappearance. Of course, later on, Peter Hackett adamantly denied his involvement in Shannon's murder, and although he admitted to the phone calls, he said it had nothing to do with Shannon. Even though the Suffolk police have said Shannon's case likely is not related to the Long Island serial killer, the Gilbert family still filed a wrongful death suit against Peter Hackett back in 2012. Since then, Suffolk police deny that Peter Hackett is a suspect in the Long Island case, but stated they are aware of his history of inserting himself 
or exaggerating his role in major events. This might be the case with Shannon Gilbert. Besides Peter Hackett, there have been other names thrown around as possible suspects, including a former Suffolk County prosecutor and a former police chief. But again, none of these people have ever been implicated by the Suffolk Police Department. As of today, the case of the Long Island serial killer remains unsolved. Police believe the same person is responsible for at least 10 murders and may be responsible for up to 16. To solve the case, the Suffolk Police Department has a website dedicated to the investigation, gilgonews.com. This website provides case timelines and updates, as well as evidence gathered during the investigation, including photographs of the belt. The website also has a page dedicated to the victims they believe were killed by their suspect. They name Maureen Bernard Barnes, Maynerville Jane Doe, Melissa Bartholomew, the unidentified Asian man, Megan Waterman, Jessica Taylor, Amber Lynn Costello, Shannon Gilbert, and the unidentified toddler as all possible victims. This list doesn't include some of the other victims that we've talked about earlier. The police website encourages anyone with information about the Long Island serial killer's identity to come forward. The public can submit tips directly on gilgonews.com. You can also send in tips anonymously by contacting the state's Crime Stoppers section at 1-800-220-TIPS. They've also set up an app. Download P3Tips to submit your tip that way. And right now, there's a $25,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest. If you have any information, tips, or just want to help, share this episode with your family and friends. The more people who know about these murders the better our chances of finding this sick individual. The poor families might never find peace until justice is served. To share your thoughts on the Long Island serial killer, be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Forensic Tales. Let me know if you think his identity will ever be known. Also, to check out photos from the case, be sure to head to our website, ForensicTales.com. That's where I'll post photos of the victims, as well as photos of the jewelry belonging to the unidentified victims. I'll also post photos of the belt, so you can check it out for yourself. Don't forget to subscribe to Forensic Tales so you don't miss an episode. We release a new episode every Monday. If you love the show, consider leaving us a positive review or telling friends and family about us. You can also help support the show through Patreon. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Please join me next week. We'll have a brand new case and a brand new story to talk about. Until then, remember, not all stories have happy endings. Forensic Tales is a Rockefeller audio production. The show is written and produced by me, 
Courtney Fretwell. For a small monthly contribution, you can gain access to bonus content and be one of the first to listen to new episodes. Or if you simply want to support the show, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. You can also help support Forensic Tales by leaving us a positive review and telling friends and family about us. Forensic Tales is a podcast made possible by our Patreon producers, Tony A., Nicole L., William R., David B., Sammy, Paula G., and Selena C. If you'd like to become a producer of the show, head to our Patreon page or email me at Courtney at ForensicTales.com to find out how you can become involved. For a complete list of sources used in this episode, please visit ForensicTales.com. Please join me next week. We release a new episode every Monday. Until then, remember, not all stories have happy endings.